Welcome to the Transit Lounge. I'm your host, Chandra. As a recovering workaholic, I want to explore how you can do more of what you love without burning out. I'm on a mission to promote true well-being, the contented state of being happy, healthy, and prosperous. Through interviews with savvy entrepreneurs, authors, and industry experts, we'll share insights, inspiration, and practical tips on how you can be CEO you in the business of your life. Let's go. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Transit Lounge podcast. My name is Chandra, I'm your host, and today we have another great interview episode where I am interviewing another fabulous woman who has made significant career change later in life to hear about how she did it, why she did it, and all her lessons from the other side so that if you're considering making a move in your work life to start your own thing, then I am sure there'll be some great nuggets and insights that you can apply to your own situation. Uh, Today, we are chatting with the lovely Cheryl. Now, Cheryl, how are you today? Where are you? I'm wonderful. I uh, live in a little town called Barranduda, which is uh, near Wodonga, which is on the border of Victoria and New South Wales. And even though it's a little overcast today, it is lovely. Oh, say the name of the place again. Barranduda. It's such a fun sounding place. Yes, it's actually Aboriginal for water rat. Oh, what? do you know why maybe I like that? Is because that's my Chinese horoscope sign. I'm a water rat. Well, there you go. Oh, I need to look into this more. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Cheryl, I only know little snippets of your story, so I'm excited about finding out more about what it is that you do now and what prompted your transition. So maybe you can let us know as we get started, what is it that you used to do for work and, and what do you do now? Well, for 35 plus years, I was doing administration. So the old girl Friday did payroll accounts, answer the phone, um, did all that kind of stuff. And now I work for myself um, helping people get their affairs in order. And when you say affairs, could you clarify what you mean by that? Okay, so I provide... Uh, support, education and advocacy for estate and life planning, Mm -hmm. including your end-of-life wishes. Right. Amazing. And I'm really intrigued to find out more about what's involved in that because I think it's something that we don't necessarily know much about or, or get taught much about until we get to an experience where perhaps there's a a family member or someone close to you that then you suddenly discover what is a bit of a minefield. Uh, And so I think it's really great that there's someone like you that exists to perhaps help people manage that better. But it doesn't seem like a straight line of going from, as you said, that sort of administration, Girl Friday, little bit of everything, keeping the office running. How do you go... Or why did you go from that into the estate planning? Well, before I finished uh, working, I was looking at um, working for myself into my retirement um, and not having to work full time. Mm -hmm. 
So it was sort of like a transition in that area. At that time, it was like, what am I going to do? I have absolutely no idea. But it was actually taken out of my hands. Oh. So in 2015, um, I walked into my job. They uh, took me aside. And after 12 years, they retrenched me and walked me to the door. Oh, no. So why do businesses feel the need to make it like the Spanish Inquisition? I get that sometimes, you know, there's business restructures and things like that, but what comes out in some organisations, and I'm not saying this is what happened with your organisation, but it just seems like they forget the humanity of this is a human being here and why do we need to treat them like they're some kind of criminal? Yeah, I look, it absolutely amazes me how uh, bosses seem to treat their employees with such disdain and disrespect mm. when if they did the opposite, they would get so much more productivity out of them. Yeah. And it was a very difficult 12 years. The boss I had was an extremely difficult man. I used to wake up in the morning thinking, am I going to be spoken to today? Am I going to be told how to do my job? Is he going to pay a, play a practical joke on me? Is he going to yell at me? I just never knew what I was going to walk into. Wow. So it was a blessing in disguise. I mean, it was I had worked full time all my life and all of a sudden here I am my early 50s with no job and no prospects. Yeah, and totally unexpected. And totally unexpected. You know, hindsight, of course, there were things that happened that thought, ah, okay, this is what was leading up to that. Mm -hmm. Hindsight can be such a lovely thing. (laughs) it, It can be. But it was a blessing in disguise. The first thing, I guess, was that even though I didn't have a job and therefore no money, I was happier. Right. Well, you're not having those middle-of-the-night wake-ups wondering, you know, which version of the boss you're going to be interacting with that day. That's correct. Very much so. So you, a blessing in disguise. Yeah. And so uh, given that, you know, as you say, you were in your early 50s and suddenly out of work, did you – you said that you'd been starting to contemplate – you know, perhaps an early retirement or what was going to be next for you, but you you hadn't necessarily actioned anything. At that time, did you have any clues or ideas of what you thought you might wanted to do for not, your next phase or what? how did that no, come about? not at all. Um, it was a, a situation where um, my, my father had died in 2012 um, from asbestos cancer mm. and in 2016, late 2016, my mum was diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment. So I became her carer. She started becoming very confused and was unable to talk to people on the phone without getting confused, filling out forms, etc. So I started doing that. Mm -hmm. So the more I looked into it, the more I found, and then all of a sudden this idea came, you know, other people are in similar situations to myself and I wasn't working and looking at, after all this information, how are people working, especially women who tend to be the ones looking after their parents and mm. their children? 
um, able to find all this information. So that's where the idea was born. Oh. And so you're, you weren't working because you were, I guess, the primary carer for your mum. And so you sort of your current situation at that time opened this idea and so did you then have to do any kind of training to, you know, go into or, or to create this business or really is it just a service that, you know, these are functional things that ordinary people have to do but they're time poor or they just don't know how to do it so you just started offering the service. Like how did, how did the business side of it actually come about? Well, initially I it was all about mum and, and looking mm. after her. So I actually went back to TAFE and did my individual support certificate three, thinking that, you know, I could learn so much more because um, what mum has with the mild cognitive impairment is going into dementia, Alzheimer's. Right, right. So I thought, I don't know anything about this. I knew her sister had had it. And I wanted to find out more. So I went in and did the course. Not only that, but I also did some training to become a death doula. Oh, tell me a bit more about that. What does that actually uh, involve? So a death doula or end of life doula, as we're known, we provide support again for families and the person who's dying through that transition between life and to death. Mm -hmm. And that could be sitting with the family, giving them options, letting them know what's, you know, available, um, sitting with them, holding space with the person who's dying. If they want to have the person at home, then, you know, go through the process of the, the actual dying process and the cleaning of the body and the dressing and the funeral and afterwards. Mm, okay. And... As an industry, is there a, a lot? Are there a lot of people that do that kind of thing? Well, there's not many of us in Australia at the moment. Mm -hmm. There's probably, oh, I don't think there'd even be a thousand of us across the country. Wow, okay. The idea is actually ancient because it's it's sort of based on the old crone of the village. They always looked after everybody. They had that wisdom. Mm-hmm. But now, instead of being just the whole person all their life, it's split up into areas. So there's birth doulas now. Um, there is uh, abortion doulas. There are divorce doulas. There's doulas oh, wow. right throughout. So doulas have niche. They've got into the marketing. They've realised they've got a niche. That is correct. So, <laughs> And with death, of course, it is a... Um, it is something that has been a taboo subject yeah. and death literacy is something that is not very common, which we're trying to get people to start thinking about death, mm -hmm. that it's not something to be afraid of. It is something that's going to happen to all of us. Yeah, and it's interesting that you say that because uh, a friend of mine, uh, Lisa Herbert, uh, many years ago wrote a book called The Bottom Draw Book. Have you heard of uh, it? Yes, I have a copy of that. Oh, good on you. So do I. And, I, and I've had very similar conversations with her around, you know, the fact that death is a topic that feels a bit taboo in Western culture and uh, I guess encouraging people to talk about it more 
I think is a good thing, but I guess people just don't really know how to handle it or, or they tell themselves that it's being a bit morbid or how did you approach that kind of um, reaction? Well, I guess with, for myself, death has never been an issue. Right from a very young age, I guess I was a bit odd um, that death was never an issue for me. Yeah. Fasc- it actually fascinated me. Right. Uh, I think the one thing about death that is common across uh, every culture is death is related to pain, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be that way. Right. And if we know more about what happens and when it happens, knowledge is power. Mm, agree. So the more we know about what can happen and being prepared with the paperwork side of things, which is my specialty, then when you get to the point where a loved one or even yourself is going through that transition, then there's not no need to worry about it. Yeah. You know, you can be more at peace yes. with what's happening around you and knowing that you, the people around you understand what's going on as well. Yes, and potentially like what you want. Uh, I, I do really want to get into that. And, uh, but before we do, I'm curious about that, that when it came to setting up the business, you saw this opportunity, but you were still very much focused on you know, looking after your mom and, and you doing these studies. How did you get your first client? I am my first client. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm still working on that. I, it, I've not had a client that I've actually gone through the whole process with. Mm-hmm. I'm still trying to get people to... Uh, make that step, giving them that knowledge. With uh, my website I launched about three weeks ago. Oh, so it's really fresh. It is really fresh, even though I've been working on it since 2016. Because I I have a daughter as well Mm -hmm. um, who's had, unfortunately, some domestic violence situations that I've had to deal with. So I'm kind of known as... The club sandwich generation. There's also the sandwich (laughs) generation. So your sandwich generation are women who have older or elder parents and children. Mm -hmm. Or myself, I'm a club sandwich. I have an elderly parent, a child and grandchildren. Oh, lots of layers. Yes, lots of layers. And we have this innate need to look after everybody yeah up and Uh, down the line (laughs) both you know above and below us Mm -hmm. and sometimes we also forget about ourselves yes so I've had to deal with a lot of other things as well um throughout that that period of time but fortunately I have had some assistance Uh, from a group of ladies um, from a a business called Global Sisters. Mm -hmm. They're a not-for-profit organisation who assist women become financially independent by creating their own businesses. Mm -hmm. And they have helped me through this process. Yeah, yeah. So I had the death doula side of me and the paperwork side of me and there was a bit of a tug of war. Mm Mm-hmm as to which way I was going to go. I had not honed my business model. Yeah. 
it took a very long time to hone my business model. Yeah. And that is a really common hurdle, mountain challenge that I think everyone making that transition from um, a history of uh, being an employee into working for themselves is that sometimes you can see the opportunity like you did about, hey, there's other people that are going to have this problem as well. I could, you know, create a business out of this. But then you do, there's all these different elements of how you do that and, you know, whether it is refining firstly the idea what is the idea what's the actual offer then all the marketing things around how are people going to find you do you have a website do you not do you have a logo like all all of the stuff that is involved in starting a business and I guess that you know that challenge too of going right well how is it that I'm going to make this a business which means I am going to provide a service in exchange for money Yes, and that's where Global Sisters was fantastic because the very first part of Global Sisters is called My Big Idea. Mm -hmm. You go along with a group of women and have a meeting and you talk about your big ideas and you you get support from each other. Mm -hmm. And it's great. And this is one of the things I was going to ask you about was around what types of support did you actually need to seek out in order to make this transition. So it sounds like um, they've been one resource that has, uh, has helped you. In terms of, uh, of challenges, so you've got the challenge of time and because of your role as a carer with all of the generations in your family, what are some of the other challenges that you have faced, do you think, when you think about this transition into working for yourself? The biggest one is financial. Yeah. I went from a, as I said, full-time paid job to new start. Yeah. And I have been on that the whole time. Yeah. So it's very, very difficult to create uh, marketing and websites, etc. Fortunately, uh, last year I was able to access my super. Yeah, okay, great. And I figured that... My best option was to put it into the business, grow the business, which will then bring in the money, then I can have all those other things I wanted. Yeah. And this is the thing, like it's a really common that the financial side of life is really influential when people are considering to make these transitions, especially when they're used to having a you know, a good, healthy, consistent, reliable uh, income coming in from a job and then for whatever reason, whether they've chosen it or it's been imposed upon them, when that goes away, that's when the test really hits because although it is easier than ever to start a business these days, it is also challenging and it takes time and money to invest in certain assets that are going to help to build a business I think there's a a risk of people thinking oh it's so easy to just suddenly start working for yourself and in some regards it is and can be but it does still take a financial commitment and so how you are set up financially before you start to dive into this path is so influential about how fast you can make that transition uh, or how open you are because when you have financial constraints 
my observation has been that it really handbrakes your creativity as well as handbrakes your ability to pay for the sort of support that you might need to get your business actually up and happening. That's correct. It is extremely difficult. I'm single. I don't have a partner either. Mm-hmm. So I don't have any family financial assistance either. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of cases, a lot of people can do that. And the other thing too is that there's not a lot of grants or anything available mm. um, to, to access. There is a program that you can do through your job provider called the NICE program, the uh, NEIS National Enterprise Investment Scheme. Okay. And I did that as well when I did my certificate to in micro business, which was extremely helpful. Mm-hmm. And that's free. All you have to do is have an idea and you go through the process, uh, apply for it, and it's quite easy to get into. There is um, availability of getting a loan, but the loan, you pretty much have to jump through lots and lots of hoops. But it gives you a good good established um, idea of whether you can go forward or not because mm. it gives you those basics. And also the local business enterprise centre, which I've dealt with a lot, I get a lot of free courses through them and advice. So there's lots of information advice out there. Yeah. It's just a matter of knowing where to get get it, but also how to ask for help. Yes. Which a lot of women have trouble doing is asking for help. Yes. It's a common theme in these um, podcast interviews when when women sort of reflect back on things they wish they did earlier or insights that they would share with someone else thinking of, of making that sort of transition is is to not hold back from asking for help because you're not expected to know everything around you know how to run a business if you've never done it before but it does seem to be something that you know as you say that women particularly can hold back from asking for what they need. Yes, very much so. I I was very much the same. I've always had to look after myself and do for myself. Um, Fortunately, I guess I'm one of these people too who I'll get onto the internet and I will just Google anything and everything. (laughs) And there is so much information out there and there's so much free stuff as well. Yes. You know, to learn how to do things. And even with ASIC, um, and the ATO, they have lots of information about starting a business and how to go about it. Yes. And I guess that the, the crucial part of starting a business is not just what you want your business to be, but what type of structure mm-hmm. you're going to have, mm-hmm. whether it's going to be a sole trader or a partnership or a company. Yep. That is very important to know as well. There's so many of those foundational things that I think are important. And also, uh, you know, I guess if I put my journalistic hat on of trying to present objective view, uh, you know, it's also important, I think, to not get too stuck in some of those phases. I had someone the other day that told me that they spent about many, many days you know, just stewing in their juices about one tiny thing of like about, you know, a photo that they were going to use 
you know, on a website or um, the name of something that they were doing. And I think that we can procrastinate a little bit with, you know, burying ourselves with, as you say, all of this information that's available uh, on the internet that holds us back from actually just getting started and getting out there and, and getting uh, our first client or, you know, putting a package together or even if it's doing a, a, a free service in order to test our material or get a testimonial. And I think that we learn so much from actually doing that you want to get to a certain point where you think, okay, enough with the uh, gathering of info. Now I've got to actually suck it up and get out there and and, uh, actually do the thing and learn through the doing. Oh, yes, very much so. That, that's, a, that's a great point you make there. And one thing I've also discovered is that the other thing with marketing and everything, oh, you know, getting out there and asking, who do I ask? Just ask your mates. Yeah. Start you know, there. My, uh, my best girlfriend lives in Central Coast, so she's seven hours away. Mm-hmm. I email her, I talk to her, I send her stuff. What do you think? You know, yep. I can't make up my mind. Yeah. And your friends, if they're the, your true friends, they'll be honest with you. Yes. And because everyone says that one of the things is, oh, you should get a business coach. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem with a business coach is I don't know what I need to know to ask about what I need to know. Yes. And that's where it's a good point that you bring up because we want people to ask for help but if you don't know what you don't know how do you ask but that is where finding your right kind of people or person that can guide you because any business coach worth their salt will have a framework that they use that will move you from where you are to where you want to be and it's not business coaching is different from life coaching in that Life coaching tends to be a little bit about bringing up, okay, what's going on for you and what do you want to talk about? And so it's much more client-led in terms of what's covered, generally speaking, not always, but often that's the case. From a business coaching perspective, there's a lot more of it that should be really around mentoring. And so a lot of people can call themselves a business coach, but if they haven't actually run their own business, I would run a mile from them. Because a good business coach will be able to guide you about what to be working on next instead of expecting you to just come with questions and they'll answer them. So it's, it's important to be a little bit aware of the difference between the types of support that are out there so that you can you know, get the support that you need. Um, but also, yes. you know, that's an investment as well. Yeah, the other thing too with the coach is that I've um, had a couple and if you don't click with them, Oh. It's just not going to work. And unfortunately, I've got one at the moment who is absolutely brilliant. She has bought me so much in three weeks than those other coaches have done in in three years, I think. Yeah. And this is the thing. I'm so pleased to hear that you are investing in a coach and you've found someone. And I think that's a definite recommendation is that if you're thinking about getting uh, a coach to work with, you know, whether it's about exploring the idea that you've got or what's next for you, you know, that you do a bit of a process of due diligence to check and, you know, have conversations with a couple of different coaches to make sure that you do click with them, that, you know, you're going to have very open and honest conversations with them. And so you want to make sure that you feel like 
they're the right kind of fit for you. And there's there's someone out there that's right for everyone. And so it's just about really um, being open to exploring that a little bit more rather than just going with the first person that you meet at a networking event. Yeah, that, that's very true. And, of course, that's what I did. Right. Oh, oh, I didn't know any better. Yes. And yeah. it was actually I wasted money, you know, but it was a lesson, hard lesson learned. Unfortunately, there has been some hard lessons learned and, yes, some financial hard lessons. But it's all part and parcel of growing, I guess, and, and you know, getting it right. Yeah, totally. Because sometimes you have to fail to grow. Yes, and I, and I love that that's the attitude that you're bringing to it because we've all invested in either programs or coaching or training or something that you've kind of gone, actually, that's not what I really needed or what I thought it was going to be. Um, but I am a big believer that you uh, you either get the the outcome that you wanted or you get the lesson that you need from to get from the experience. So it's never really truly lost, I think. No, definitely not. Mm. But I'm Every curious to ask not. you, um, when it comes to that, I guess, nearing end of, of life and you've referenced the paperwork side of things, I'm curious about what are some of the challenges that if people don't have all of this stuff taken care of, what's a downside? What can go wrong? Oh, gosh. <laughs> that is That can be endless. Hmm. I mean, starting with a will. Yes. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, so expensive. It's not expensive. I tell people or I suggest to people, you know, do you have insurance, cash insurance, car insurance? Do you pay it every year? Do you think about how much it is you're paying? But you pay it. With a will, it's about the same amount of money, if not less in a lot of cases, once every five to ten years, depending yeah. on when you need it. Mm-hmm. So the cost of having these put in place is very simple and cost-effective. And if you don't have a will, the if you have a blended family or you have a I refer to as a normal family, which is literally dysfunctional. <laughs> there's You've reframed always, that, yes. Yeah, there's always problems um, of, you know, who gets what, when, where. Yes. And just having that done is a peace of mind and getting an executor that will be someone who carries out your wishes, not just for your will, but they're usually who look after your funeral um, plans as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, so, and then you've got your power of attorney. So in each state, they have a different power of attorney. There's not an Australia-wide one. So in Victoria, you've got your enduring power of attorney, non-enduring power of attorney, and your medical treatment decision maker. But uh-huh. basically, you've got financial and medical power of attorneys. And what happens here, if it's for an older person, the traps are that there can be elder abuse, especially mm. with a financial power of attorney, if it's not done correctly. Mm. With a medical power of attorney, an advanced care plan or directive should be done in conjunction with that so that the people who have the power of attorney know what the wishes of the person who is unable to communicate for themselves their medical decisions. Yeah. 
And so even just that little snippet of, of yes. one aspect uh, that needs to be taken care of that very often isn't, I can see how there is just a can of worms of problems that can open up um, in the absence of that because I think even when there are certain things that are documented and in place, in many normal slash dysfunctional families, whether it's a, you know, a money driver or an emotional driver, there can still be different agendas at play that... Uh, can really complicate things at a time where there is a lot of emotion flying around. So I think it's one of those areas that's just, it's easy to not think about it or talk about it until you're in the middle of some kind of shit fight and then it's yes. too late. And, and a classic example is a couple who separate but don't get divorced. Right. Because what can happen if you don't get divorced, that ex-spouse will get everything. Even though they've been living separately, uh-huh. if yep. they hadn't actually processed the divorce, technically the paperwork rules, which says that they were still married. That's correct. That's mm. correct. So, or a new will has been created because what happens when the divorce comes, it automatically um, revokes the, the current will. Right, okay. But it's always best to redo one. Mm -hmm. But just one other thing that people are so unaware of when it comes to estate planning is superannuation. Now, there was a Facebook thread that I saw recently and quite honestly it shocked me, the little snippet that I read, but then I got a bit confused so I still don't feel like I'm clear on it. But tell us what's this situation with superannuation and estate planning? So superannuation is not part of your estate. Mm-hmm. It is completely separate. So unless you set it up with a binding nomination, so when you do your superannuation and you do you put out your beneficiaries, yes, the trust it's up to them whether they actually apply it directly to those beneficiaries, unless of course somebody else decides that they want to make a claim on your super. You, yes, if you have a binding nomination. That means those people on that form that the superannuation trustee must pay it to. Right. The binding nomination, though, the superannuation don't tell you about that, and they're only valid for around three years. So you have to make sure you update it. Every three years, so on your super? Yes. Yes. Mm. The other thing, too, is what you can do is that you can actually put down at as part of the beneficiary, instead of a person, you can put down your estate. Oh. So then it becomes part of the estate and then the executor then can distribute the assets and the money according to the will. Yeah, right. So, again, another separate aspect of this whole end-of-life paperwork side of things that is a minefield, but people don't know about it and so... My question to you is, at what point in life do you think people should actually invest some time into either looking into all of these things or hiring someone to take care of it? When when do you think people should be doing it? As soon as possible. <laughs> I mean, as someone 18 or someone who starts working straight away, mm-hmm. they start getting superannuation. So they automatically 
get your insurances. So if it one if someone of an age of eighteen has superannuation and gets killed in a uh, car accident, unfortunately it does happen, then there is a death benefit which can, which can be up to two hundred thousand dollars. And so what happens if they haven't done this um, binding beneficiary for their superannuation? Well, whoever's on the beneficiary will get it. It could be their girlfriend. Mm-hmm. It could be their parents. It's hard to say. But if they haven't nominated someone? If no one applies for it, then hello, government. Oh, wowzers, Cheryl, it's a minefield. And we even ha- we haven't even touched the minefield yet. <laughs> we have skirted around the minefield. <laughs> and look, the good thing about that being a minefield is that it suggests that there will be a a big market for you to offer your services to. So if people are hearing this and thinking, okay, I really need to look into this, but I'm busy and I don't want to have to flap around or do all it myself, are you in a position at the moment that someone can find out more about you and connect with you? Where should they go? Most certainly. So I have a website. It's called willittobe.com.au. And on that website is a questionnaire. It's 25 questions and that will give you a good idea of what to think about and that will come through to me and I can then be in touch or you can get in touch with me. Mm-hmm. I also have a Facebook page, Will It To Be. Great. Uh, which anyone can pop in and, and like the page. I pop up um, tidbits all the time as to, you know, wills and power of attorneys and Medicare and MyGov and, oh, gosh, it goes on and on. And I also have a, a page where for a will because I don't do wills. A solicitor should do a will. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find a lawyer. And the one thing I must say with that is that, Um, In most states, there are estate planning specialised lawyers. Right. Any lawyer lawyer can do a will. Mm -hmm. I actually use a little analogy that I like. So you can go to Bunnings and learn how to change a washer, but it doesn't make you a plumber. (laughs) You can go and get a a lawyer to do, any lawyer to do a will, but that doesn't mean they're, they're specialised in that area. Yes, and given the importance of all of this, I, I think it would be highly advised to go with someone who's a specialist in the area. That's correct. So mm. I have a page where you can go into, regardless of state, that and it explains how to go and search for a particular lawyer in your area. Mm-hmm. Great. Fantastic. Well, we'll make sure that we put those uh, links into the show notes so that people can find you and see all your little tidbits and and advice, find out more about your services as well as that find a lawyer um, resource as well. That would be great for people to to check out. So Cheryl, when you look back at where you're at now, which is on the cusp of really bringing your business offering to to the, the market, when you look back with the beauty and the gift of hindsight, are there things that you wish that you did earlier? I guess I was fortunate in that I, I found Global Sisters very early on in the piece. Yeah. If I hadn't have found them, it would have been a different story. I wouldn't be where I am now. Mm-hmm. So finding your idea and 
running with it and and not dismissing it. Just have confidence in yourself. Great suggestions there. And I think that what I look at is you've got lots of lessons from what you've been doing over the last couple of years that have led to you being where you are now and having this this product, this service offering to, to be able to go to market. And I, I can tell how knowledgeable you are and your passion for it. So I'm really excited to see where the business goes for you as you, you know, go, go to market and put the offers out there. Uh, and I actually really love the um, linking up that is, you know, you said that right from an early age, you had a fascination with death. It, it was something that just intrigued you. And then you had 35 years in administration and you know uh, all of that kind of office running and and paperwork things that now you've just aligned these two parts of your life and your interest into this great new offering and I think it's great when we can look back and kind of see like oh that's interesting and all those things that I did before they kind of have uh, landed and are going to help me in my business in this way which you could never possibly have um, known in advance no n- not at all and it is very true and they say if you love what you do you won't work a day in your life there is one piece of advice that I would like to give everyone though yes go definitely have me time mm-hmm. do not work yourself into the bone it's not worth it yeah if you don't have yourself and your well-being and time for yourself to be, then the business isn't going to go anywhere. Yes, and it's such a good reminder, especially, I mean, for, if I just apply it to myself, I had I have a tendency and I have through most of my adult life towards being a bit of a workaholic. I love working and I've, you know, no matter the different roles I've had, I've always thrown myself into work. And so I do need to be quite mindful of you know setting up some sort of boundaries and carving out that or, or making and booking in the me time because otherwise I can find myself just continuing to go 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 and as you said it's like well what's it all for and if you run yourself into the ground then you know that was not the point of it so I think it's a really great reminder to set up your business right from the beginning not only with all the good foundational things of having a business but also with an understanding that you need to have a business that allows you to look after your well-being along the way as well. Yes, it is. And the best part about that is that working for yourself, you can have your own hours. Mm. And I'm able to spend so much more time with my grandchildren that I wasn't able to be with my daughter growing up. Yeah. And it's made such a big difference. Yeah. Oh, good on you. That's fantastic. And Cheryl, I really am very excited to see how you go. Um, And I would love you to let me know when you get your first client. It's an exciting first milestone and it's just around the corner for you. I can feel it. So can I, so can I. It's so close I can smell it. (laughs) Thank you so much, Cheryl. So that's it for another episode of the Transit Lounge podcast. But if you are at a point where you have an idea and you feel like the next phase of your work life is going to be you working for yourself, then one of the first things that you really, really need to get sorted is the money side of things. And I'm not just talking about figuring out how much money it's going to cost you to get a logo or and a website done. 
I'm talking about you and how you handle the money side of your work and life. And to get you started on that, one of the things that you need to know is that there are actually five money zones. And these are five aspects of your life that influence how you think, feel and act around and with money, how much you earn, what you do with the money that you earn, how it helps you or holds you back. There's a whole relationship that you have with money. So if you're going to create a successful, thriving business that gives you the sort of freedom and lifestyle that you want to enjoy, then you really need to know what the five money zones are and which one of the five zones you need to work on first based on your unique situation in order to have the biggest positive impact on how much money you earn and keep. And you can discover all about the money zones right now in an easy five-minute money breakthrough quiz that I've created that you can get your hands on right now at thetransitlounge.com forward slash money quiz. I'll put a link in the show notes for you as well, but it's thetransitlounge.com forward slash money quiz. And I really do encourage you to go and check it out because if you can get your money side of things sorted, then trust me, everything else becomes so much easier for you to start and grow your own business. When you don't have the money side sorted, it tends to be the fastest handbrake to your creativity and your business growth. So go do that now. You've got nothing to lose. Go do the quiz, figure out your money zones and go have a great week. See you next week.